Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tidewad Tech, Episode 4, Shining the Light on Fog, for the week of May 27th, 2010. In this episode, we're going to talk about one of our favorite tools, Fog. Fog is a free and open source computer imaging solution similar to uh, Alturas or, or Ghost or, or any of those tools out there. And in my less than humble opinion, it's better. And we're going to talk uh, about why I think it's better. Um, but let me just make sure that we all understand that the F in Fog stands for free. Okay, so this is a tool that allows enterprise uh, users to reimage hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of computers um, quickly, easily, and at no cost. And joining us today, we're super excited to have the the developers uh, of of the Fog project, uh, Chuck Cypersky and uh, Jim Jong, uh, joining us, and uh, they they'll be joining us a little later on. Um, first, I just wanted to. Um, Touch back a little bit about our previous episode, um, the uh, uh, where we talked about Boxy. Right. Um, uh, we the over, the response from that has just been overwhelming. Uh, one person has contacted me about that, and it's just really uh, it's been a deluge of, uh, of feedback about that. Well, it, it, you know that'll come later once the people have actually got it installed and set up. Then they'll come back and you know want to give us a big hug. And see, I didn't even know that there was the social component of Boxy. We talked about it uh, about the Boxy and talked about what we knew, but apparently there's a, a follow feature or a like or, or something like that. And uh, um, I got an email that said somebody was now following you on Boxy. Uh, I didn't know you could do that. That's kind of cool. But uh, you know who you are out there because there's only one of you. And thank you for that. And uh, uh, I don't have any rants to go on this week. Uh, well, uh, just uh, well, I was just thinking I was going to mention that because I think uh, the thing in Boxy is kind of like delicious, you know, the bookmarking where okay. I think you, you kind of build up this little network of people who like similar things to you and that, that it, it turns you on to what they're watching. And uh, so – uh, interesting. You know, I tried delicious as far as the bookmarking went, and that was just, yeah. I, I just didn't get it. But I promise we're not going to talk about Boxy every week. Uh, but right. uh, I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, and just as a side note, after we talked about that, I, I said that uh, there would be a, an install of Netflix in my future. And in fact, there was the very next day. Loving Netflix. Um, it's a pretty cool service. The integration into Boxy is, is seamless, and uh, it's very right. impressive. Yeah. Well, uh, let's uh, let's turn our attention back to fog then, I guess, because I really this week just don't really have much of a rant. But uh, I'm sorry I, to disappoint you, people. Those who tune in just for our rants. Um, no, there's nobody out there. Well, okay. Let's let's do this. Let's do a uh, 15 year old girl. Okay, uh, because we get to talk to rock stars in our world today. So I mean, how exciting <laughs> is that, right? Uh, and and uh, what we've known roughly a week now that we're going to have them on the show. And, uh, uh, you know, we've been getting extra prep done for this show. Giddy. The man, what, what he's trying to say is we've been giddy, honestly, right. about this. And it's not because that, uh, that Chuck and Jim are, are anything uh, amazing in themselves, but the work that they've put out is just utterly amazing. And, uh, and life-changing. Life-changing right. is a good word. Career-changing, at least. Well, and, yeah. uh, you know, to that end, uh, I, I went to the – this This is from the SourceForge site uh, where you would actually go to download Fog. But uh, I just pulled a couple of quotes uh, because uh, I wanted to get it out there that uh, as giddy as we might sound, uh, we're not the only ones. So from uh, some of the users uh, – 
this has been the best cloning solution for our small school district. I only wished we had found it sooner. The Windows cloning solution sucked big time. This rocks. Uh, let's see, another uh, love it, very useful and expandable too if you know your Linux. We use it to manage 3,500 plus computer system. Uh, it works very well. And uh, from another guy I think you might have heard of, uh, Fog is Awesomeness on a Plate. And that would That's be by mine. Mark Cockrell. I put that in there. But here's another one, um, not to cast aspersions about particular products, uh, so I'll let this other person do that. Uh, this is by far the best open source imaging solution. We recently replaced our standalone Acronis with Fog. It's easy to set up, configure, plain and simple. It just works. How many times have I said that about uh, things recently? I said that about Boxy, and now we're saying that about a Fog. It just works well and i hope in doing this show that's what we're able to present to people uh you know there are projects out there that are they're stale or never really reach maturity uh especially you know in open source and uh that's what we're we're trying to help do uh, with the show is just weed through all of that and get you to the good stuff and uh what better than fog all right so without further ado we'll bring our guests on and uh let's get this thing kick-started Chuck, we'll let you go first. Just tell us a little bit about uh, about you personally and then your involvement uh, in the FOG project. Well, I'm a software developer. I work for a school district outside of Chicago. Um, basically, what I do at that school district is pretty much all software development. So I'm kind of in a unique position where they allow me just to uh, to write code, you know, do things of that nature. Um, I was a technician at the building, so I do have some uh, background with things like, you know, imaging computers and ghosting and things like that. So you're a full-time code monkey for the district? Yes. Wow. And that, I kind of evolved into that. Initially, I was a technician, kind of worked my way up the ranks, and they actually saw, you know, enough value where they created a position for me to do software development full-time. So he's the guy that I'm aspiring to be then. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm an aspiring programmer, but uh, nowhere near uh, your level. Uh, just you know, to give you a sense of scale, you're talking to the tech department at our school, the two of us right oh, here. Oh, wow, really? So, yeah, we're, wow. A, we're a much smaller district. Um, so, yeah, I guess I would be the lead software developer, and, and he's the, uh, the assistant software developer. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought everything was bigger in Texas. I thought, uh, <laughs> We cover a lot of area. That's true. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else? I'm sorry, I interrupted you, but that just kind of blew my mind. I didn't know people did that. Well, and basically, that's kind of how we got started with Fog. Is you know, one year we were looking at replacing Ghost because we were either doing our operating system update. I don't remember what it was. Whether it was you know the 98 to XP, or we were making some jump like that. And we had to upgrade our imaging software. I think we were on maybe uh, Semantic Ghost version 6.5 or something back then. And we, me and Jim just kind of looked at it and we're like, you know, there has to be a better way, a cheaper way or something. So we decided to take, you know, a month of just kind of doing weekend work and seeing if we could come up with something better that had, you know, kind of... They kind of worked in our environment a little bit better, you know, did things the way we wanted to do them. So that's what, that's basically how Fog started is we, you know, just looked at it and said, let's do something better. We wanted to do something that was centrally managed, you know, that you could 
basically image computers from sitting in one spot without visiting that computer or touching it. Um, we wanted to be able to do things from a web browser instead of having to always remote into a server and, you know, start tasks and stuff like that. And, you know, there were other things that kind of annoyed us. Like we had to, back then, I know this has changed a bit now, but we always had to make boot disks for specific computers. You know, we'd have to make either a CD that only worked with a small subset of our computers or, you know, only one or two machines. So we wanted to basically make something that would work for all computers and take a lot of the mundane tasks out of the imaging process, you know, make it more of a trivial task so that we could really push that down to lower level technicians and even, you know, clerical people, secretaries, things like that could even image a computer if you wanted to delegate to that level. And that's kind of how it was born. We just had the set of ideals that we wanted to base a system off of and we kind of started from there. And so we uh, spent a couple I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. So we basically, you know, spent maybe a month or two, worked on an initial release, and, you know, it was basically a proof of concept, but we had a system working that started to, you know, do those kind of things. And how long ago was this? When did you start? Uh, when when was Fog born? I believe it was back in, was it's it summer, July? Of, yeah, summer of 2007. Yeah, so we're going on being almost three years old now. Wow, it's the smartest toddler I've ever seen. Right. <laughs> And then, yeah, we had other things we wanted to do, too. Like, we just wanted to take all the mundane tasks away from our technicians so their time could be better spent doing other things. Even things, you know, like joining a computer to a domain or changing the host name or installing printers and things like that that are, it's just repetitious work that, you know, can end up consuming a lot of your time. So we just tried to push all of that, you know, build a framework that we could do all that from a centrally managed place and... That's kind of where we're at now. Okay. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You used the uh, uh, some of the core of the Ghost for Linux project. Is that is that a true statement? It looks very similar. I'll put it that way. No, basically, we use a lot of open source components that they use. So oh, okay. when you image a computer, what you're seeing is part image when that blue screen comes up with the progress bar. A lot of other projects use that too. For a while, um, Clonezilla used it, which is another open source imaging solution. Ghost for Linux used it. But basically, we built everything from the component level. We didn't really base it off of an existing imaging system. And I should even say, we tried to use things like Clonezilla when we were looking to replace Ghost, and they were just not centrally managed enough, and they kind of didn't have the ideals that we wanted to, you know. And just for the benefit of our listeners, Clonezilla is a, is another uh, project. It's really designed at uh, having the image on a, on a pen drive with you or, or carrying the drive to another machine, and it's really good at that. It's a one- or two-click process, but it's not designed to be an enterprise-wide thing, and that's why it didn't meet your needs. Exactly. I mean, they do very well, very well on local level. Right, yeah, I've, I've used clones. In fact, I carry it on one of my uh, multi-utility drives. I have it with me, <laughs> so you know, and and I've used it. But uh, uh, for an enterprise solution, it it comes up pretty pretty short. And that's kind of what we felt when we you know demoed it and tried to get it to fit into our environment. And you know, we were just trying to fit the square into the circle hole, you know, and it wasn't working for us. So that's why we kind of just figured, you know what, let's start from scratch. Well, not scratch, but from more of a component level and see what we can build. So as the project has grown, has it been that sort of thing, that uh, at meeting your own needs, or has it been uh, user-submitted patches or, or user-submitted problems? What's that growth uh, been like as you've uh, progressed? 
I think initially, you know, whenever you start a project, you're kind of scratching your own itch. But from there, you know, we wanted to be very community centric. And if it, you know, was going to benefit one user, it would probably benefit, you know, X amount of users too. So we always wanted to take user patches, user requests and stuff like that and integrate it into Fog if we, if we believe there was, you know, a really good need for it. So a lot of the stuff that you see now has either been user recommendations or user patches that have kind of just, you know, grown into what Fog is now. And how many people would you say have submitted code? Uh, just give me a guess. We probably have, you know, 10, 15 people that submit code. Some of them do it on a regular basis. Um, some of them have only submitted one or two patches, and that's about it. So but most of the code We get a lot of suggestions for things, you know, okay. like for one thing that we implemented in Fog very early was Active Directory integration. Yay. Um, yeah, we like that. We're actually a Novell shop. We we don't use Active Directory at all, but that was something that we heard loud and clear that the community wanted, so it's something we looked at doing, and, you know, it, it was pretty clear that there was value in it, so we integrated that into Fog, and it seems like it's one thing that people are actually pretty happy with having now. Uh, so uh, what about, how does it met, you know, you had a, a design, I guess, a, a grand idea of what you wanted. How 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 are we getting there? How's it going? Uh, are we pretty close to what you wanted it to be, or is it uh, has it met your need and now you're just making it better? Where are we in terms of your expectations of originally? I think we've probably met what we were looking for to do initially. We probably met that you know around version point zero seven. To be honest, we had pretty low expectations when we when we started this and yeah, it's just one of those things that kind of has ballooned, you know, and just kind of snowball out of control. I'm a little curious about that. It, you know, you made this, uh, you know, for yourself, uh, you know, primarily in the beginning and was it just kind of a grassroots kind of spread by uh, word of mouth or uh, how did that kind of explosion happen? That was exactly it, you know, and that's something that we learned along the way is, you know, you, it's tough to do the build it and they will come model. You know, you have to kind of push it out to people somehow, either by doing, you know, presentations or things like that. But that's why our growth initially was slow because, you know, it's it's hard to reach that critical mass where people start spreading the word for you. You know, you kind of have to plant the seed and go from there. And that's one thing we really learned from doing this is it's not, yeah, like I said, a build it and they will come kind of model. Right, right. So uh, now you guys are, uh, you're coming out with a new release point two nine tomorrow, is that right? Yep. Yes. Yeah, by, by, the by the time, time this is released, scared. right, it'll already be out. Right, right. So yeah, we'll release Thursday, so uh, it, it'll be out for a couple of days now. Um, and uh, what can we expect in that uh, that new release? One of the big features that we've been working on for a little while now is multiple MAC address support. We have um, a lot of users, including us, that are starting to use laptops and netbooks and, you know, more and more places, you know, doing one-to-one initiatives, giving laptops and tablets to staff. So one thing that people used to have to do if they wanted to support those laptops and netbooks um, with our FOG service is they'd have to register not only the machine's physical uh, network address, but also the wireless address is two separate hosts. So, We've done that hundreds then, of times. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So what we finally did in this release is we made um, hosts now support multiple MAC addresses, you know, on a single host object. That way, 
you know, when you take that machine off of the physical wired connection, it can still talk to the server and, you know, the server will know who it's talking to and be able to do all those tasks that, you know, your desktops can do and things like that. How does it do that? What's what's your new identification mechanism if it's not MAC addressed? Yeah, that, that was going to be my question because uh, I'm curious how it ties those two together or do you have to explicitly tell it to tie those two what? together? It's still, I mean, the, your, your lane MAC address to your primary MAC address, that's what you, the one you're going to image off. And right. Wireless, wireless, because we know on that machine when you boot up, we know there's two network cards in there, the two MAC address. So we just submit a second, the wireless MAC address to the server, and server just append that to their, the, the primary host MAC. So the wired NIC is, is still your identification, and you're yes. just allowed to add to it. Okay, so yeah, if I... If I swap out a motherboard or a network card, that that's going to show up as a different machine then, like it did previously. Yeah. Yes. Uh, what we did, what we did on the, the multiple MAC addresses, we do the primary run for you automatically. Then the the wireless one, the second network second net, network uh, MAC address, you have to go approving it. Oh, okay. By you. So what that what we thought on that is a like if I have a, a USB wireless card, you know, if I plug in the machine one, that's auto, if we automatic painting for you. Move that to the second one. If it's job waiting for the sec, you know, first one, and the second one's gonna figure out that's me, then it's gonna take over that machine. Right. So we make that into a uh, like the like the administration approving it. So it's extra step. Yep. So we still use MAC address. We just you know allow for there to be a, a one to many relationship now with MAC address to host. So it's we have to do a little more work on the server end to uh, to accomplish that, but. I, I'm hoping in the end that'll ultimately benefit people because I don't think laptops and netbooks and all those mobile devices are going away. <laughs> no. Yeah, that especially in uh, in education, that seems to be the wave of the future. But the most important question is: Do you plan to support the iPad? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we would, but we don't want to get an angry letter uh, from Steve Jobs, so we're we're tiptoeing very cautiously oh, okay. on that. <laughs> Well, that's the big question in schools these days is does it support the iPad? <laughs> that, so, and that probably is somewhere where we will end up going. I don't know if we'll support the iPad specifically, but we probably will end up you know, migrating more into the uh, Macintosh side of things. Well, that was that was going to be my next question, so you just led into it. Uh, uh, for people who don't know, uh, there's lots of sort of extra goodies. It's more than just an imaging uh, uh, system, but most of those goodies don't exist on the on the Mac or the Linux side. Uh, is there is there plans to sort of bring some of that uh, that stuff over, or uh, is that just a whole different animal? Or what's what's your plan on that? Basically, the way we looked at it is we wanted to go with. Number one, what we were using, we're primarily a, a Windows shop, so going back to the scratching our own itch, we, we obviously went to Windows first and made sure that worked well. And then we wanted to make sure, you know, whatever we do do, we want to do it well. So if we're going to be a Windows cloning product, we want to make sure that everything we do with Windows works well and it's not, you know, very superficial. We wanted to make sure that um, we had every version working, you know, we stayed up on the current ones. And then once we got, you know, or once we were happy with the state of that, then we we're planning on moving on to things like uh, Macintosh and Linux to, you know, do the same with those and do them well. Are the same so, tools available on that side, like the, the, the partition resizing and that sort of stuff? They are. They're available in different ways. And, you know, some of it we may have to patch to get it to work with Fog. But 
um, we actually were pretty close to having uh, Macintosh support working pretty early in the project, and our biggest problem was we didn't have any Macintosh computers to actually test on. <laughs> <laughs> so we we kind of you know shelved it for a little while, and I believe we're still not too far off from you know being able to retrofit that into the the current model. But it's yeah, just something that we haven't looked at too much because, as I said, we're not primarily a uh, or we are primarily a Windows shop, so we didn't have the hardware to test on. Well, Chuck, yeah, the so first time when, when the MacBook Pros start rolling into me, I'll send a few to you. Okay, so when the people, <laughs> when the people out there who complain that we we don't do enough Mac stuff start sending them to me, I'll make sure you get a couple. Okay. <laughs> uh, so. You're at point. You're at zero point two nine. Now, uh, open source uh, products are notorious for fearing the big one point oh, because uh, once you hit one, you have to be finished, right, or at least good. And so yeah, everybody, right, standard. What What's one point oh going to look like? You know, I don't know if we have if we can look that far down down the line to what the one oh can look like. Because to, to be honest. Going from our initial release to where we are now is just such a quantum jump for us. We've done so much more than we kind of even thought we would. So trying to look out to 1.0, basically I think, you know, from a bird's eye view, what we'd want in 1.0 is to have just very stable support for all the major operating systems, including Mac and um, Linux, and be able to do, you know, multiple partition resizing, things, things of those nature. But yeah, it's it's kind of hard to look in look in our magic eight ball and see what one point will uh, will hold for us exactly. So, what do yeah, you tell people it. who are scared of the zero point? You know, when if they don't want to uh, try something because it's so um, early on. You know, we we just kind of explain that our our numbering scheme is pretty much arbitrary. You know, it it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't really indicate how stable the product is. It's basically just an identifier for, you know, versions for us so we can keep track of what was released and what, what version. Well, we, um, we, can, uh, we can speak to the stability, and that's part of the reason we're here is we want to spread the word because uh, it's been a wonderful product for us. Right. Yeah, I, I don't remember when I got uh, started using Fog, but based on what you told me, if it was July uh, 2007, it couldn't have been – it was less than a year old when I found it because uh, I've been okay. using it for over two years now. And uh, the thing just works. It's just great. Uh, it's, you know, uh, I have long said that if I ever met Peter Norton in person, I'd kiss him full on the mouth. And um, <laughs> and you guys have just been added to that list. So <laughs> right, right at the top it's, there. It's a good thing you're Skyping in here because uh, otherwise, um, you know, there'd be some man love going on because this is just an awesome product. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have to say, you guys are probably responsible for me gaining about 10 or 15 pounds because it's uh, that much less running around I have to do. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. You're making us blush over here. <laughs> yeah, especially me. Uh, I, I took care of, or I still do take care of, the majority of the actual imaging and uh, image deployment. And, uh, yeah, I used to run around the district with a set of CDs and, uh, you know, having to go computer to computer. And uh, So, literally, fog changed my daily life. Yeah, I mean, the the biggest one for us to change, like, for our district is uh, – and we don't need to require a high-level technician anymore. You know, we probably need one or two in the district. And that's and great because we it. don't have any high-level technicians here. <laughs> <laughs> and and right, so we try to fill the you know repair with fog, right? By re-imaging uh, it, and uh, maybe the you know department secretary or 
a secretary can actually can do the image for us. One of uh, one of the things that uh, that people when I when I talk about uh, the way we do things at our school think I'm a little crazy about is that here at our school our teachers are full unrestricted admins of their machines. Uh, I don't tell them they can't install anything. It's their machine. They can do what they want with it. But we have a 20 minute rule. I will spend 20 minutes trying to fix your problem, and in the 21st minute, fog comes into play. And uh, so, <laughs> it's a good a, policy to have. Yeah, well, and thing. we we give them network storage and uh, plenty of space to to put the things that they need to keep. So, uh, and, and for the most part, they know that, and they know that we're going to look at their computer, and uh, you know, 20 minutes later, if we can't fix the problem, then. Uh, then six six to eight minutes after that, they're going to have a fresh <laughs> image on there. <laughs> well, and that's one of the things that we uh, we kind of do too, and I think that's what helps make Fog successful wherever you use it is where if you can look at the, the workstation itself as being, you know, a bit more transient and, you know, not the data being permanent on there, I think you're going to be a bit more successful with with things like Fog where you can quickly redeploy an image and not worry about having to pull, you know, someone's Outlook mail or anything like that off of the, off of the machine. Okay, so in that uh, regard, what would you consider the optimal use case? for uh for fog how how does it uh shine best the optimal use case for fog probably um any site that's running you know ad or network for their file services um we can automate you know some of the things like joining ad and things like that so that that's a help um right now as we kind of talked about earlier we work we do best on Windows, although we're planning on branching out to, you know, other operating systems like Mac and expand our Linux support. Um, and another thing that's probably really good to have if you're a district is similar machines. Um, you can use Fog on dissimilar machines if you do things like SysPrep and stuff like that, but the path of least resistance is probably, you know, a homogeneous environment where you can pull an, uh, you know, an image from one machine and push it to, you know, 100, 200, 300 more machines at your district. Um, another another uh, thing that I would recommend is to have a relatively fast network since we do everything over the network and we'll make use of whatever you give us, whether it be, you know, gigabit, switch gigabit, things like that where, that will support wake on LAN and multicasting is another, another big plus. And probably since we're a free product, any district that is, you know, short on staff and or budget, I think we're we're a good match for. That's probably a majority of them today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Find yeah. me a school that's not short on budget. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'll, I'll ask for a job there. <laughs> <laughs> and with the, the 0.29 release, we add another uh, another uh, component that's called Compone, which that's uh, probably fit for the repair shop, too. And so that way you can bring a machine in. You don't need to register with a fog anymore. It will based on the DMI, the BIOS information, and we'll try to figure out what image will be going onto that machine automatically. That's yeah, so cool. Capone is basically something that we had for a while that we used with a um, a repair shop out of the UK that I think it was an HP warranty shop where they'd basically get old machines, or not machines, but machines that were in for warranty work. And they would, you know, do the hardware repairs. And then what they used to have to do is pop the original OEM CDs in to restore the image before sending it back out to the client. And what we were asked to do from one of the uh, one of the workers there was 
modify Fog so that basically they could just boot the machine up, load the module that we have called Capone, and based on yeah anything in BIOS like the you know the BIOS version or the system name or anything like that, it could automatically image a computer without having to register in, with Fog. So that even kind of takes Fog you know, going back to the optimal use case out of just the educational environment. And that's kind of what we're using to even try branching off into, you know, the commercial uh, commercial world with, you know, repair shops and things of that nature. Uh, and you guys, uh, you know, with Windows 7 coming out, are you uh, working in Windows 7 support or have you had any hurdles that you've had to face with Windows 7? Windows 7, when it first came out and we first started looking at the beta or RC or whatever it was a while back, um, the biggest hurdle for us was that Windows 7 has two partitions by default, and typically we can only resize a single NTF partition. So we had to do a little bit of work to make it so that you could still have your two partitions on Windows 7 and make your image resizable. So that was probably the biggest hurdle that we probably spent, you know, many a weekend on for for a while after that came out but we eventually got it working and we do have a little bit of Im uh, limitations with Windows 7 where uh, we only support if you use the default 100 megabit system partition or whatever what you want to call the first partition that they install on Windows 7 and then um, before uploading an image of Windows 7 we have a tool that you have to run on the computer to basically ready it to be deployed to um, other machines called Fog Prep, which is a new um, Windows application that's included in our 0.29 release. So those are those are a couple of the the hurdles we crossed with Windows 7 because there was kind of a lot of changes, but we were able to overcome them eventually. Now you said uh, it's another application that you have to run before you upload the image. Is that right? Yeah, yes. so immediately before you upload, meaning you can't reboot your computer after running it or what you do with the fog prep will basically be wiped out. So basically, yeah, right before you're going to upload an image, you run that application, uh, reboot your computer, boot into Pixie, and then do your upload. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm about a, a day early on my upload right now. I, uh, I think I've got another one here actually sitting in my lap that I can go ahead and test that out with it. Um. Okay, let's see. So, uh, I mean, we sort of covered this already, but uh, uh, you said you use it to um, simplify administrative tasks. Give us a, uh, an idea of the scope uh, of your network. I mean, we, as we've already covered, you guys are a pretty uh, massive district. H how many machines are you imaging on a regular basis? Well, I think district-wide, what are we up to? Around 2,000 machines yeah. now, maybe, give or take. Um, we've kind of grown recently so is that where the idea the the need for decentralized storage servers came from you are you disparate just are you spread out we actually aren't we're actually only two buildings we're two uh two high school districts so we have two geographic locations and actually uh we use uh just two independent fog servers for each of the buildings they pretty much act on on their own um the whole storage nodes uh, which i think is what you're referring to mm -hmm. came actually from user requests because we were getting um, sites that wanted to use fog that would have you know 28 30 35 distinct geographic locations that you know 
just wasn't feasible to put a fog server at each location. So they wanted to know if there was a way that we could help them out with that. And that was kind of our solution to it. And it had some other benefits. Like we do use storage nodes at our district basically just as backups so that, you know, if we happen to lose an array on our primary fog server, we have them replicated to a, another node just, you know, just in case that happens. Just to and, give a simple explanation of that, when you're doing the fog install, it asks you, am I a fog server or am I storage server? Storage <laughs> is what brings us together. Sorry. Uh, am I a fog server or am I a storage server? And if you say storage server, that's all it does. Uh, you have one fog database where all your machines live, and then that machine just holds uh, images so that if you are uh, if you have a high school 45 miles away from your administrative offices, you don't have to have it sucking down images across that WAN. You can have the the images live locally, and then it just simply checks in for the pixie booting and all that stuff uh, across the WAN, and then does everything else local. Is that a, a, a fair description? That sounds right on. Excellent. Uh, we and, don't. And another another big benefit with the storage node, even on the same size, same campus. We use it called. I mean, we use a queue system, and uh, if you only one server, the default is ten. If you add another storage on it, you can increase. That default storage can be ten more. So now you have a total of twenty queue now. That's so true. if you try to push a, a machine out faster array, you have a more uh, queue, the queue size. All right, let's talk about that queuing just a little bit. But essentially, that's your mechanism for making sure you don't kill my network, right? Uh, yes. So you say uh, the default is ten. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, and an install right. you can you can make it anything you want, but yeah, right. out of the box we set it to ten. So no more than ten images can be pulling down at the same time, so that the no rest of your machine, yeah, so that the rest of your machines uh, can continue to function. And, and if you have more than ten, they simply wait in line, and then when one is done, the next one comes on. And uh, as the way I use that here is, I do ten multicasts, so I'm actually doing ten labs at a time, and uh, and that uh, uh, works really well. I can do a whole lot of machines and still. Uh, it doesn't kill, for example, our, our uh, VoIP system, and, and you know people can still make phone calls while I'm imaging, which uh, with Ghost, by the way, wasn't the case. Everybody knew when I was imaging because the phones would stop working. <laughs> and the reason we actually did that, too, is because like many districts, I would imagine, we re-image all of our computers during the summer. And what our technicians actually end up doing is they'll queue up 100, 200, 300, you know, even a whole building or a whole floor of uh, machines and basically leave for the day, come back the next day and have, you know, it all be done. So that's kind of our thought process when we created that whole system so that, you know, we could basically make our network work for us when we're not on site. Yeah, absolutely. We we do a similar thing. Uh, I think last year we maybe did three or four hundred in a day, right. uh, and and even then the only reason it went uh, it even took that long I think was uh, more related to the specific hardware. So you know we'd we'd uh, we'd run a task and and then come back and see that maybe two or three uh, were were not picking up the task for whatever yeah, reason. the wake on land wouldn't work or something like that. But, yeah, it always came down to that individual machine having a problem or maybe it wasn't rebooting or something. Um, so, in short, it just works for the most part. <laughs> it really does. That's the promise of software. Everybody always says that it just works, but in the case of Fog, it really does. Uh, just to give you a little background, uh, I said I started using it a couple of years ago. Um, the version of Ghost I was using was... 
I don't know, the first one maybe. It was very old. It was still it still worked off a floppy disk, okay? And uh <laughs> and I had and made a floppy image on a CD. So that's how I was making it work on modern machines. Uh but we got a batch of new machines in with these newfangled SATA drives in them. And it didn't know what that was. Yeah, it didn't. Up the SATA. Yeah, it was like I, I don't know what SATA means. Uh, so I started looking for alternatives. And of course, my first phone call, being the good um, uh, tech that I am, was to uh, my rep to say how much will it cost to upgrade Ghost? Because that's what you do, right? You just upgrade Ghost. And they told me, and I said that's forty percent of my annual budget. Um, <laughs> it's not going to happen. And so I started looking for alternatives, and I found Ghost for Linux, uh, and I used that. Uh, for a while, uh, and it's better. Uh, at least it recognized the hardware, but I ha- still had to go to each machine and boot with a CD and, and log into a, an IP of uh, an FTP server and, and type a, a command line. And then that's that enter Sean. That's when he, when I hired him, that was like one of his first jobs was we were in the middle of, of imaging. And, um, and then somewhere along that on the line, I, I stumbled on fog. I don't remember how or where. And I, just reading your website, I began to weep. Uh, it was like, you mean I don't have to do this anymore? Really? And uh, so I set it up on a VM uh, just because, you know, I didn't trust you. I didn't believe you. Uh, so I wasn't going to de- dedicate a real machine to it. So I set it up on a VM, and we actually imaged the rest of the computers that summer off of that VM uh, because it just it just worked. And then uh, once we did that, uh, we built a new high school and, and uh, more than doubled the number of computers in our district. So uh, it was a no-brainer. Fog it was. So I dedicated a machine to it, and um, we've been happily in love ever since. Yeah, and that's and, and we've since then really just been trying to get the word out because it's just too good for any district out there that's you know got a, a tight purse uh, to pass up on. I mean, you just got to jump on it. So we're out there evangelizing uh, fog as much as we possibly can. Years ago, I heard Steve Jobs tell a story about when he was selling the first apples, and uh, at the time he was uh, in a uh, like a convention of accountants or something, and their big killer app was the spreadsheet and he showed him how you could do this amortization over 40 years uh with you know in a couple of seconds on their machine and he said that uh, that bankers with trembling hands were were having to study it so they could sign the checks that's exactly the response i get when i show people fog <laughs> they look at it and they just begin to tremble like i can't believe how much harder this has been all my life um, and I mean, and you guys are better than really expensive projects in terms of your one-click ease of use. And um, so, having said that, you have any plans of making any money off of this thing? Yeah, that, that's that's what I'm really curious about. I mean, you guys should be driving Ferraris around. So, kind of curious <laughs> why you went uh, uh, open source, and you know, is there any monetization plans in the future, or is it uh, going to be support, or or what what have you got uh, in the in the future there? Well, we're first looking to build value in the product, you know, make it as good as we possibly can first, and then hoping that there's some way that we can, you know, turn a profit down the line. We're not, you know, in any hurry. We're, we still have our nine to five jobs here. So we're, we're kind of taking it slowly and not trying to, you know, tread too, too quickly and end up doing something that's unwise, you know, offering support for a product that's, you know, unsupportable, you know. So I guess the answer to your question is we would like to do it eventually. We don't have any concrete plans. We were thinking about going down the support route and offering, you know, commercial support to anyone that would, 
you know, want it. Uh, we were even at the point of, you know, negotiating with a company and things just didn't really materialize the way we wanted them to. Um, another thought we had was eventually releasing an appliance uh, to make it, you know, easier to get over what some people have problems with, you know, installing Linux and, you know, installing Fog and going through that, have everything kind of pre-installed and have everything just where you fire up a web browser and set it up. But we we haven't really materialized those plans yet. You know, it's something that, as I said, we want to build value in the product, make the product as good as we can, and then hopefully see if there's a way we can make a buck or two off it down the line. Well, it, I mean, it would be well-deserved. Well, I'm looking at your web page right now, and if there were a PayPal button, I would have clicked it already. So just, you know, <laughs> put that on there at the very least. Uh, let us throw some money at you because we know you guys are, are working hard on this stuff. It, it, it shows in the in the quality of the product. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. <laughs> Let's see. Um, we haven't even mentioned oh, – we've just been talking about the um, – imaging side of it but there's this whole other management side of it that we haven't even talked about uh and and some of the install right uh which i found out about on your wiki uh again another life-changing thing uh we now install software once ever and, <laughs> yep. and install right does everything else well uh, and and here's a great example because something as stupid as a uh, a desktop shortcut uh, you know, you have a, a teacher ask for, can I get a shortcut to XYZ educational site? And uh, there's some of them that are fairly frequently requested. And I thought, why am I, why, why am I doing this repeatedly? So it, even just making a, a shortcut to starfall.com uh, with install, right? And I can have it uh, be a, a plugin and I can deploy that to any number of computers with just a couple of clicks. It's, it's, Beautiful. So talk a little bit about the snap-in uh, setup and, and how that works and, and let people know because really, I mean, if uh, uh, if the imaging is the cake, uh, the, the snap-ins are the icing and, and who everybody takes their finger and does the icing first. So that's the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, the snap-in module is basically um, just a small piece of the bigger service that um, we include as part of FOG. We have a Windows service that we... Uh, include with uh, with fog, which basically does a lot of things that we probably talked about and brushed over kind of quickly earlier. Things like snap-ins, where you can take um, either an MSI package and pretty much install it right out of the gate, or you could pre or repackage any application install all the way from you know something as trivial as a desktop icon all the way up to uh, Microsoft Office or Open Office or something that complex if you wanted to. And basically, it's really a simple process. All the client does is download that package, do a remote install with escalated privileges, and you're pretty much set to go. Um, yeah, you can say it's, it's simple, but that's big. All right, Google <laughs> is simple, but it's big. Uh, because, you know, uh, we uh, you just talked about the, the big packages. We do that. We used to have a different image for every set of software. You know, for these people need mm -hmm. this set of software, and these people, and so we maintain different images. Now we have different images for different hardware, and, and then only when we have to, and and install the snap-ins for everything else. And, and for the people listening who, who, who aren't getting this, you assign a snap-in, you create this package, and you say this machine gets this software and then forever every time that machine is re-imaged 
all this software is just added. It's it's a no it's a no thought process. And so for our Spanish teacher who has this uh, um, online tutorial thing that's like six gigabytes of data, um, we just make a, a couple of packages out of all of that and then and click the the associate button. And I never think about it again. Every time I reimage her machines, it gets added. And to be honest, that was another thing that was suggested to us from the uh, the greater community. Um, the user base, you know, basically just said, you know, why can't we do this? This should be something that's relatively easy. We looked at it, and that was something we uh, ended up doing. And another thing on the, the snapping, people do a lot of people just like adding the stuff into the machine. Actually, you can use the snapping take stuff all too. So, like, you try to uninstall a offers. You you create that package. You know, after you create a Uninstall package on that. Actually, when the machine boots up, it will look at it and pulling and remove the package. I mean, the office for you automatically too. Yeah, and that makes sense. And uh, I guess that's where you can jump in and explain what install right does. Which install right just takes a snapshot of the computer at a, at its current state, and then a snapshot after you've made your changes and whatever changes have happened during that time. That's what is is in the package. So that makes sense that you could. Uh, do that for either an installation or an uninstall. Yeah, some people use it as a delete account and they use it as a delete directory too. And uh, other things that your FOG service does, uh, manages printers. Uh, uh, just this morning, just this morning, a, a teacher called me up and said, um, I turned my computer off Friday when I left. I know I did. When I got here this morning, it was on. I want to know who was on my computer. The FOG login tracker was the tool I used to answer his question. There are there are other tools that can do it, but the service already does that. Why why not just use it? And so that's just one of those things that it uh, that the fog service does. It'll it'll shut your machines down. Um, theoretically, I'm going to be honest, guys, that doesn't work here. I don't know why, but theoretically, it'll turn your machines <laughs> off at a certain time every night um, and uh, and save the energy. It'll it'll. Uh, uh, what else does it do? I, I'm I'm not even remembering, but you guys wrote it, so you tell me. <laughs> Putting us on the spot, uh, we also do display management. So if you want to set a default display on certain computers, you can have it you know, change the display on every login. Um, we have some things that are more specific to Novell Networks, like a user cleanup tool. If, uh, if any districts out there use the dynamic local user part of Zenworks, sometimes users aren't deleted on logout. What user cleanup will do is delete all those stale accounts from a machine. Um, let's think. What else do we have? Um, the directory cleanup. Oh yeah, directory cleaner, which is also something we created because we were a uh, Novell shop, and there's a directory called NAL Cache that we wanted to clean up on on logout. So that was another one that kind of scratched our our own itch. Uh, one we use a lot actually is Green Fog, which is the one you were talking about that should shut down your computer at a fixed time um, every day, and we actually use that at our district to shut every machine down that's not logged into at, um, say, 5 o'clock every day. And then what I'll, our technicians will do is instead of making all our staff turn their machines on the next morning, they'll just create a group for every computer in the district and wake up every machine with one click of a button when they get in in the morning. Right. I have a group called Everything that I do yeah. things like that with. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I mean, if you're running a new, new version of the FOG and it actually has a scheduled task on it, if you can set up like, almost like a cron job, 
every morning, six o'clock, five o'clock. Yes, the scheduled to, you know. tasks that was pretty big. That uh, in fact, what I do remember when that came out because yeah. we, we were waiting for that right. anxiously. One of the things that I'm considering doing, I'm I'm not there yet, but is, is we pay for uh, a deep freeze like thing that you know that makes changes uh, non sticky. I'm thinking of no longer paying for that and just reimaging every night. Um, and you know why not? It, it on our gigabit network, it takes about six minutes per machine. We could easily do them all overnight, and uh, so you know all the problems go away, and you get a nice fresh image every every night. Um, and so that scheduling is is one of the things I was sort of waiting for to uh, see if I wanted to do that. Also, uh, one of the simple things that we're all just ignoring is the fact that it will reboot a machine when a task is present. So you know, if a machine needs to be reimaged, you don't have to go reset it. Your fog service does that. That's yeah, pretty if the, big. If the machines, uh, if a person log in still working, we won't reboot that machine. Only the winds get to a locking problem. Right. We reboot your machine. If your machine's off, if you have a sick, uh, wake on now, we turn down for you. So we try to take out the technician, visit that machine portion of it. Right. Yeah, and we, we try to look at it as, you know, you can re-image a computer without physically being there. That machine could be, you know, 30 miles away or, you know, wherever, and you should be able to image it in most states without having to touch that machine. Right, and you will log out somebody who's idle. So you say you, yes. you're polite and you won't uh, mess up somebody logged in, but if they're not logged, uh, not doing anything for an extended period of time, you'll log them out. Yes. Uh, yep. So that it, it really covers all the bases. Is that another one of those things that over time you thought, you know, we need to add this feature because this machine hasn't been re- re-imaged in a week and things like that? <laughs> exactly. I mean, the- the other log off is come from we have a teacher a lot of times they don't want to log off. They don't leave for you know, end of the day they leave. So So we put this in place and the log off and the green fog kicks in and then it shuts the machine down and the next morning the wake only wake up the machine. So We we have teachers who, who will come to me and say, I can't I can't log in, there's something wrong uh, and I'll say, Well your password's expired. When was the last time you logged out? I don't know, the last time my password expired. That's what I thought. <laughs> Well, this kind of forces you to log off automatically, <laughs> right? Uh, host name changer—that's a big one because uh, every, when you clone a machine, every machine has the same name. Um, I used to have a, a rather, relatively complicated uh, script that I wrote that uh, would be kicked off as part of the imaging process. That would uh, rename the machine, reboot it, add it to the domain, uh, reboot it again, and then clean itself up. And you guys did all that for me in the fog service. You just check a box now, and it uh, it does all those things. It renames it, reboots it, adds it to the domain, and cleans itself up. Yep. yep. And even on the most current release, we used to re- require the, uh, I think it's called the Windows Support Tools or something like mm-hmm. that, that right. included the NetDOM program. And basically, we removed that requirement in the most recent release because I guess it's not very easy to find for Windows 7. So we went native code on that, and we do all that you know, without without that executable. So that's one thing that's also new in the uh, the release that is coming out tomorrow. Make a note of that. Let's take that out of our procedures now. We don't need that. <laughs> right. Anymore. Yeah, well, and that was that was one step in my, you know, as I was building an image, uh, you know, I'd go down this long checklist of exactly how we want to set up the image, and one of them was install Windows support tools. So, <laughs> so XP, Vista, and 7, you no longer have to do that. Exactly. Excellent. And, and not big ones like, uh, I don't know, do you teach a travel building to, from one building to another building? If you do that, a lot of times, because uh, on the wind on the fog client, we require you to put an IP address of your fog server on there. Right now, we go with the domain uh, DNS entry now. So oh, you actually can excellent. move from one server to another server 
and you don't have to change it. Or even you rename your IP of your server, you don't have to go touch the client again. Wow, because I that happened just recently. Uh, somebody uh, had set up their one IP address on the server and needed to change it and ended up having to go touch every client to fix that. So now in, in 0.29, that is no longer an issue. Yeah, actually, when you install Fog, now you can do a complete silent installation too. And um, when you're asked to enter the IP address of your server, you can actually leave that blank now, and it'll automatically attempt to resolve um, Fog server, wow. all one word, <laughs> automatically. That way you don't have to enter an IP address and worry about you know changing your IP scheme and having all your clients be out of date. So. Okay, that settles it. I'm driving to Illinois to kiss you on the mic. <laughs> um, I'll be there in about 26 hours. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys realize what rock stars you are? Really? I mean, that's amazing what you guys oh, do. Oh, you're making us blush again. No. <laughs> yeah, it, but that really does. It speaks to just it's it's a life changing piece of uh, of uh, software. It's just amazing. Yeah, four okay. geeks like us. Let's not overstate it too much. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I posted today on uh, on Twitter about uh, uh, interviewing and, uh, you know Chuck and and Jim and uh, I said that you know uh, they equal geek rock, rock stars because that's what, <laughs> that's what you are. It's like that Intel commercial with the guy who invented the microchip. You've seen that one. Right? <laughs> so do you guys get that? You know the women fawn all over you and and sign autographs and. You know, <laughs> No, no. Not, not quite there yet. No. Yeah, not quite. Does your wife fawn over you at least? Anybody? No. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to help. Sorry. That's how wives are, though, right? I, I, you know, don't know if you're married or not, but I, I would assume that if you were, you, you'd say something about, uh, "Oh yeah, I'm doing this interview today," and your wife would just say, "Who would want to interview you?" <laughs> that's what they, wives yeah, do. They keep us humble. So they really, do. it's just the fat, bearded guys like me that give you the love. I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll take whatever we can get. Yeah. Um, well, uh, let me. Uh, I'm going to j- jump in there. Uh, I think we're we're kind of getting close to to wrapping it up here. Um, uh, one, I just wanted to say that I, there's a lot of documentation out there on the Fog site. So if if you're curious, uh, you're looking at this, hopefully maybe we've convinced a few people, uh, go over to the, the FOG site, and that's uh, fogproject.org, I believe. Let me see here. Fogproject.org. Yep. Yes. And yes. Uh, uh, go there, check it out. There's a lot of documentation, training videos uh, that you can access and everything else. It's, uh, you know, if you've been listening to how easy it is just to image these computers with FOG, uh, the installation is really not uh, any more difficult. Well, and really, the installation is the hardest part. And uh, you know, I've I've been corresponding with a friend of mine at a different uh, district who doesn't know what a Linux is. Um, and and <laughs> and so the hardest thing about this thing has been getting him to install Ubuntu. And that's not exactly re- uh, uh, rocket science. But you know, if if one say you're there, okay, so you've got it installed. And I say, uh, okay, well, you need to enter this, you know, run the script. And it says, well, you're not the root user. Well, what's a root user? So, you know, those things that that we geeks don't really uh, worry much about is really, that's the hardest thing. Once you get it installed, the actual using it is is a web interface, which is just uh, 
uh, really very simple. And and who does your artwork? It's very pretty too. <laughs> that would be me. I'm wow. not uh, very color coordinated. It's all uh, shades of gray. I actually was uh, not very impressed by our uh, our artwork uh, initially, but it's it's slowly gotten better over time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's a it's a nice slick interface, um, and uh, it works very well on a mobile device too. Uh, I use it's got a uh, help me out. You you do the IP slash fog slash mobile or something mobile. like that. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I've done it on my BlackBerry, and I know people who do it on their on their iPhones, and you get the same interface, just a, a little smaller. Yep. Uh, so you can uh, you know as you're walking around, just uh, okay, I'll reimage that one and then watch it happen. It's kind of it's a kind of magic, really. You push a button and suddenly a machine wakes up and springs to life and and uh, and starts doing its thing. And uh, um, so yeah, if if there is any trepidation out there, people, once you get past the initial install, which is just running a couple of scripts and answering a couple of questions, uh, probably the thing that trips people up the most is encrypting their AD password. Um, which is not exactly intuitive, uh, but you know, hire me. I do that. So give me a call. <laughs> right, exactly. And, if you uh, want to, if you want to pay one of us to come out and pay us a bunch of money to do something nice and easy, we'll we'll be happy to do it. <laughs> or, or I'm sure Chuck and uh, Jim, right? If they're, uh, you know, you, you guys are at the top of that food chain, so uh, they can pay you a. a you know, truckload of money, and you can come out and do an install for them, right? <laughs> a little vacation. Huh? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, well, uh, so just in closing, did you guys have any uh, final uh, comments or um, or anything that you wanted to uh, throw out there for our listeners? Um, I guess the only other thing, if you're looking at giving Fog a try, we also have a uh, VMware image that. Uh, is pretty easy to set up just to to give it a test. So if you want to uh, give that a try, there's links to that on our um, on our website fogproject.org. And I guess we just want to thank all of our all our users in our community because they've been great. You know, they kind of our forums kind of take care of our themselves now. Users seem to be very helpful to other users and just keep spreading the word. And it is a very responsive community. I can say that. Uh, uh, you used to have on your old website. I say you just redesigned your new one. Uh, your list of install or number of installs. I don't see that anymore. What's your current number? Do you have a guess? Right now, I believe we have about like twenty two hundred sites running Fog right now. Twenty two hundred registered sites. Um, twenty two plus because that is an option to report that back. So if there's right. anybody that's unchecked that box, then yeah. That's stuff only we know about it. Right. That's about two million too few. If if you <laughs> if you run a school network and you pay for something else, you're wasting my tax money. Stop it. it. Well, any business really. I mean, any business out there. Uh, I'm sure uh, in corporate America, they're paying uh, tons of money to do this same thing, and uh, I can't imagine that there's a better product out there, regardless of price. I just did you guys get in a little? Argument with Symantec over the previous name? Uh, that- <laughs> yeah, that, w- that was a little while back. Um, that's why we, we used to actually, or I guess I should say we might or might not have been called um, Free Open Source Ghost <laughs> at one point until we uh, received a C&D letter from Symantec. So, yeah, we're now we're just fog. Yeah. I heard they actually sued to me more in the estate of Patrick Swayze, too, for their movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Well, you uh, you're going to be presenting at Tech Feast July 19th. Is that right? 
That is correct. Yes. All right. And uh, for our throngs of listeners up there in Illinois, we might actually have them this, this episode. Uh, that'll be at Heartland Community College in Lincoln. And then uh, you, you can visit techfeast.org for more information as far as uh, how to get there and uh, uh, to sign up and whatnot. And uh, they'll also be uh, presenting June 10th in, I'll try this, DeKalb, or as we say in Texas, DeKalb. Yep. yep. <laughs> so uh, just to just to plug that for you guys. So if you're up that way, or uh, uh, it, you know, it may be very well worth it to even make a short trip uh, to see these guys present. And uh, you know, it, who better to present this thing? We've presented it several times, but uh, wow, to see you guys present it, it's got to be something neat to see. All right, and uh, well, we just thank you for your time, gentlemen. Uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully informative for our listeners too. Oh, thank you for uh, having you. us. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we'll be uh, maybe we can do this again in a year or two and talk about the millions or two million that uh, th- that we've got out there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you, and have a good afternoon. Thank yeah, you, thank gentlemen. You. And that really does speak to the open source community. Um, when you reach out to the open source community, people answer. And uh, I sent those guys a tweet and said, hey, we've got this tiny little podcast and uh, we use your stuff. And they were excited to be a part of it. And so uh, that's great. And so now we'll move on to our our regular uh, sort of end of show thing, the uh, uh, tips of the week. And uh, I'll begin with our tech tip of the week, which in this case is WinAudit. Now, just to tell you a little bit about WinAudit, it is a very small tool that does one thing and does it really well. Just as the name says, it audits your windows. And um, so you put this thing, it's a little, it's a one file um, exe that you can run on a, on a pen drive or whatever. And it goes out and just gets every, sucks every piece of information it can find out of the out of the computer. It'll tell you the uh, serial number of the motherboard, the, the serial number of the hard drive, the configurations, the, the amount of RAM it has in it, the uh, a detailed inventory of all the software, your yeah. license keys for all those softwares. Um, it's just, it's a really awesome thing. If you don't know where you stand with a computer, if you're uh, like a traveling tech and you walk up to somebody's computer for the first time, you put this thing in, give it a couple of minutes. It takes a little while to do all that. And it'll spit out this report that is just incredibly detailed. And it's a, it's a free, it's not an open source, but it's a, a free product uh, for any use, they say, uh, commercial or non-commercial or whatever, they don't care. Just use it. And it's available at uh, pxserver.com. So go to pxserver.com and click the Win Audit button, and you'll find uh, just all sorts of uh, great goodies in there. And, um, it's, and the, uh, uh, the price on that one? Yeah, absolutely free. Just the uh, way we like it. Yeah, and so uh, if you have... Issues, and I'm not saying that anybody out there would have issues with teachers installing illegal software on your computers. Doesn't but happen. Theoretically, if that problem might happen <laughs> somewhere, this is a really easy tool that you can run even remotely, uh, and it'll give you, like I said, a software audit, and and you you can know everything uh, that's on that machine. It can email you the report. You can even set up a pretty easy batch file that would run it periodically and email you the reports. It's a great little tool, and again, absolutely free. Well, uh, and I'll jump in here because the way I like to use it is, uh, you know, working on somebody. Usually this comes up on somebody's personal computer, but uh, 
I'll come up on a machine and I go, you know, we're, we're just going to go with a fresh windows install. And, uh, that's a great thing to run before you do something like that, where, uh, you know, after the fact you're going, oops, I can't, you know, don't have this driver, that driver, whatever. And, uh, it, all of that information is great to have in hand when you're, you know, on the backside of a fresh windows install. So, yeah. And, and while I don't advocate wasting paper, you can just hit the print button and then have it with you, um, as you go about rebuilding that computer. Right, absolutely. Uh, okay, so I'll move on to our teacher tip of the week, and that is livemocha.com, L-I-V-E-M-O-C-H-A.com. And uh, what Live Mocha is, it's a language learning uh, slash networking site. Uh, if you can picture, I don't know, learn Spanish slash Facebook uh, is maybe a good way to describe it. Uh, Live Mocha has uh, 35 languages and uh, currently 5 million members worldwide. Uh, the accounts are free, so you can just go on there and uh, and, and sign up. And uh, it has a Facebook Connect and I think maybe a Gmail Connect. So uh, it's got that integrated in there. And uh, basically, it's just a really neat thing. You go in there, you say, hey, this is what I'm interested in uh, learning. Let's say it's Spanish or Japanese or whatever. And uh, then it has uh, just basically different learning paths that you can go through. And so you can take these uh, courses and uh, as you're going and you're submitting things, other live MOCA members will review your work and uh, they'll, they'll give you feedback. And of course you can do the same. So somebody in Lithuania trying to learn English, uh, you can go in and review uh, people's works and then uh, you accumulate Oh, like karma points or something for doing that. Uh, it's a really neat community. Uh, you know, as far as the classrooms concerned, you know, I don't think it's a core, uh, tool, but I, I do see it as, uh, maybe something that could be utilized as extra credit or just for that student that's wanting to do some things, uh, you know, some extra stuff outside of the classroom or during some dead time. So, uh, check it out. Uh, and I, I want to thank, uh, uh, Jeremy Fluman from Winners ISD. This actually came from a, an email uh, that where he was inquiring about it. So uh, he turned me on to it, and I, I got to looking at it and thought, uh, wow, what a neat little thing. So uh, check it out, livemocha.com. And if you'd like to be like Jeremy and, and um, have your name announced um, on, and among fives of people on our <laughs> podcast, uh, just send us your tips of the week uh, because uh, – you know, we, we run across uh, great stuff, but between uh, all of us, you guys are probably running across a whole lot more great stuff. And and stop hoarding it. Let us know about it so that we can let other people know about it. Right. Uh, email. Go to the website, uh, thetightwadtech.com. Uh, uh, you know, post. Uh, you know, you can post to a show notes or a show blog for uh, any one of our shows. So, uh, you know, go on there, leave us feedback, uh, send us something over Twitter or Facebook. Uh, uh, we're we're fully connected, so That's right. uh, get and that can, information to us. You can find that Twitter and Facebook information at our website at thetightwadtech.com. Uh, that is your place to interact with us. Uh, we spend all this time every uh, couple of weeks talking to you. That's where you get to talk back to us. So, and we like to hear from you. Well, and uh, Mark, to that end, I wanted to. Uh, I know this is going to be a long episode as it was, but uh, we had a post to our point five episode. So I think it was the second recording we actually uh, released, and uh, I'm just going to read it here. Uh, this was from our uh, Mac versus PC episode. Yes, so. our completely uneducated and and un. Uh, 
planned episode. Well, and, and you know, after that, we expected to, uh, you know, see people with pitchforks and and torches <laughs> at our door over it. Uh, usually, that's where you end up with Mac versus PC. But uh, but uh, we we did get our our loan comment, and this is from a gentleman that just uh, had signed in as Jim. Uh, but uh, I'm going to read it. It says, uh, as a Windows user of Microsoft products from DOS 6.22 to Vista, I would consider myself a power user and try to max every geek- geekly tool feature out of the system I can. But after switching to a MacBook Pro in September of 2009, I feel that there is nothing I can't do that I did on my Windows desktop. If anything, I can do more with less issues. Uh, so I thought that was just a really interesting comment because one, it wasn't, uh, the typical response that you get from a Mac user that's kind of inflammatory and just, you know, uh, <laughs> you're a big idiot, you know. Uh, I think you just called every Mac user in the world a flamer. I think you just did. <laughs> well, that's okay because, you know, Windows users are, that's are just Sean, S H A W N at the tightwadtech.com. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, maybe I deserve that one a little bit. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I, I just thought it was really well spoken. Uh, he put that out there. He's a power user. So, uh, you know, my typical thought of, of the, the average Mac user is they're just not that sophisticated and they just like all the pretty. And this is not one of those guys. So this is, uh, uh Jim, thanks because that, that, uh, you know, I really respected, uh, you know, his, his post there. I just got to say, Jim, you're a rookie. 6.22, come on. I've been using it since 4.0. Rookie. Uh, well, he's, he's got a leg up on me. So. <laughs> All right, and so uh, I think we've rambled on enough for this episode. So we thank you so much for listening. Uh, once again, thanks, Chuck and Jim, for uh, joining us. And uh, uh, for now, this is Mark signing off. And Sean signing off. <laughs> <laughs>